0: We are in John chapter 15, John chapter 15. It's awesome, isn't it? It's amazing. Um, it's kind of amazing because in some ways, you know, wh- where are we at, chronologically, we are at the, basically the end of the Last Supper. What is the Last Supper?:
1: It's the last Passover meal that Jesus had with his followers.:
0: Okay? So <clears throat> the last and I'm going to do I'm going to do a Lily air quote here. Passover meal. <clears throat> Why do I put this in quotes? It's a good one. <clears throat>
2: Were there many meals?
0: Mm, no? kind of. There, you know. Day before the Passover. Yeah. So if the if the chronology of the New Testament is accurate, and we think it is, this is the night before the Passover meal would have been eaten. But. The way that the Gospel writers write about what ha- takes place on that night is very apparent that it was treated as a Passover meal. Why was it treated as a Passover meal if it wasn't the Passover night? <laughs> he had other plans that yeah, he, day.
2: Had he had other plans.
0: Let's be honest about it. He wasn't going to be around tomorrow night, right? <clears throat> and so... So you didn't know there would be so much quizzing in here already. Uh, You you didn't even read ahead, right? And now there's quizzes. Um, This is the last Passover meal that Jesus would eat with his disciples, the last meal he would eat with his disciples. And he has already gone through the whole process of eating the meal. And one very key important event has happened, kind of right in the middle of it all. Jesus announces very clearly that one of his disciples, his 12 disciples, will betray him. And the room explodes. Well, who? Is it me? Am I, you know, is it you? No one's really sure. And that's a clue, too, of how secret Judas went about doing what he was doing. No one had any idea that Judas was going to do it. Suddenly, Judas is kind of outed by Jesus himself as the traitor. And Jesus basically says, I know what you're going to do, so just go do it. And Judas bolts from the dinner. Following that, Jesus has one of the most intimate and remarkable discourses with his 11 remaining disciples that you have in the entire New Testament, that you have in the entire Gospels, <clears throat> and he's he's just basically unloading onto them all of this amazing stuff, okay? All of this amazing content. And so he's right in the middle of this as we pick up in John chapter 15. So I would like to ask for a volunteer, please, <clears throat> to read verse 1 through 17. Who would like to do that for me?
1: I'll do it.
2: Can I, can I just mention one yes. thing? that, Since we read that chapter in Judas, you know, he says, uh, Jesus says, You're, it's going to be you, so just go. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we mentioned it, but isn't it amazing how God will use even the nastiest, worst people that we can mm-hmm. think of to fulfill ah. his purpose for me? Can <coughs>
0: It just, I don't know. Bill is. I love it. <coughs> What's that mean to you, Ken?
2: Ultimately, what it means is I can walk through my life with no shame. Because I can look back at my life and realize that there was a lot of bad things that I've done, a lot of bad things have been done to me. Okay. Um, he cares, but he doesn't care.
0: So, it's not all on you.
2: Right.
0: Maybe, maybe that's, that's not what you're saying, but it's yeah. like, it don't don't feel the pressure like, yeah. if I screw up, I'm going to wreck God's plans. No. Not
2: going
0: to happen. I love this. And no, and no matter what, you know, has been done,
2: I mean, I, I, basically lost my dad when I was three years old and although that was a a huge part of my drinking and my drug use in my 20's and all the stuff that I've gone through in my life Mm -hmm. that is ultimately probably the biggest thing that God's used to put me on my feet keep me on my feet
0: This is huge. This is really huge. And I'm so glad you mentioned this. God can use our failures to further the kingdom. This is a very different message from what you may have even gotten growing up in Sunday school. Oh, not our Sunday school, of course. It was much better. You screw up and you're wrecking everything, right? That's the message. If you screw up, A, God's going to punish you because you're evil. Um, and you're wrecking every and and you know you're responsible for all the problems, right? No, 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 no. That's not. And I love this. This is this is it. How radical of a message is that for a first-century Jew mm. or a Pharisee specifically? Completely
2: contradictory of what they were trying to live up.
0: Completely the opposite.
2: I I can do it all perfect one day then. It's mm. good. Which was very important in my life mm-hmm. so I was just like yeah, no. yeah, I can't do that so I'll just go this way
0: how many people, I've, I've talked about this before, <clears throat> bell curve no. so I, I'm a scientist, you're going to have to bear with me, we, we have you know, histograms and bell curves and the like, we have a bell curve of people right, <laughs> all in hate God and maybe that's a bad way to <clears throat> kind of do this <clears throat> You know, and this is number of people. When you share the gospel with, with people, you share the gospel with 100 different people, 20 of those people are all in the minute you... You, you know, this is biblical. The, the, the wheat is ripe for the harvest. The people are ready and willing to go. 20% of the people will hate your guts for saying it, and they will never, never accept what you have to say about Jesus. And, and the rest of us, 60% in the middle are all kind of in the middle somewhere. Like, okay, I kind of see the point, but I'm also not. How much of this group, and maybe even more of us than that, because we think it's all about living up to some ideal we can't, we just we don't even try. I, I'm hearing all this stuff, and, and maybe I haven't read the Bible before, but I hear a lot of stuff about, oh, I can't have sex before I'm married. And... I, I, you know, I can't get divorced, and if I do, I'm going to hell. And if I hate someone, you know, then I'm going to hell. And if I don't go to church every week, I'm going to hell. Blah 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 blah. It's all about me and my actions, and I, you know, I just can't live up to it. So I'm not even going to try. Not even going to try. How many of us are like that? I mean, even like us. I mean, even I feel that way sometimes. And maybe that—that's a. I think hopefully that's the point is that's not true at all. That's not true at all. How many of us fail in our life? Ever? Right? Come on. Raise your hand. Give me some love here. How many of us fail in our life? Thank you. I don't feel so bad now. I thought it was rhetorical. Okay, thank you. That's right.
1: Well, it's all about looking forward and not backward. and has to go okay. with the, the hope that we have um, in Christ and for forgiveness and so even though you've sinned in the past, don't let it drag you down. Let God use it yep. for good, or and and move forward because we have
2: hope. So it's
0: looking forward. I love that the Bible, you know, makes a very strong case to say when you are forgiven of your sins, when you come to Christ and your sins are washed away, they're literally washed away, and God forgets them. <laughs> Who is reminding you of your past if you're a Christian? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said it that way. <laughs> that's so true. The enemy reminds you of your past. And we call him Satan or the devil. <clears throat> we. We also. And, and maybe
2: some other people.
0: Yeah, and, and through them. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, this is so good. We we remind ourselves of our past, right?
2: And maybe not directly know we hear somebody say something about like you just said divorce you know Mm -hmm. you're going to hell if you get divorced yeah that i mean that can directly impact how i feel about it Mm -hmm. i i have to fight that Mm -hmm. that's a that's a a battle for me is Mm -hmm. it's man i failed you know but i've seen god i i've i fell in love more with god and trust him more mm-hmm. after ah. that than I ever did before
0: a bit. And I'm, I'm talk, and I'm
2: talking about today okay you know
0: i'm going make a I'm going make a, a bold uh, prediction here it seems as though scientifically time travel is not possible meaning time travel to the past time travel to the future seems possible through what's basically Einstein's theory of, of relativity, meaning if you were to travel near the speed of light, time for you slows while it speeds up for everyone else. Long story short is, it does seem possible, and this is this has been proven through scientific testing, that um, you can go into the future. So in a, in a kind of way, you can travel into the future. There seems to be no way possible to go into the past. I feel like God has has on purpose not allowed that. He has not given us the ability to build time machines, to go back and fix things. And because of that, we have no control over the past. I'm sorry, but I think this is an important thing. Maybe this isn't. If God had given you the ability to go back and fix your problems of the past, then you are on the hook for it. Okay, you have a time machine, Ken. You can go back and fix that. But he has specifically prevented it. And because of that, you have no control. Yes, you did it in the past. I can't fix what I've done. I can't change it. I can't change other people in the past. So thus I totally believe that, that what Angela just said is so right. Use it to learn, but don't don't think you're condemned if you truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is and you accept his forgiveness, you are off the hook. You're off the hook for everything. For everything.
3: If you look at David's life. Oh my gosh. I mean and his well his published indiscretions who knows what or what isn't written but certainly the big one kind of right in the middle yeah i mean he slayed goliath yep. he yeah the lord used him to slay goliath yep. and, and rise up and then he kind of you know was a part and then now all of a sudden he's king and then he gets the power yes. and then he's He's a guy after God's own heart, and yeah. he commits adultery, yeah. murder, but then he turns things around. And yeah. so, you know, with him, there's there's the the rise and the fall and the redemption. Nice.
0: Very good. This we, this is the best conversation we've had before talking about the script <laughs> that we've ever had. I love it. This is great. Let's go ahead and, you know... uh, I thought you were halfway through. I know, right? You're like, well, I thought you'd be done. Okay, go ahead, Laura. I am
1: the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he trims and cleans every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce even more fruit. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit alone, but must remain in the vine. In the same way, you cannot produce fruit alone, but you must remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If any remain in me, and I remain in them, they produce much fruit. But without me, they can do nothing. If any do not remain in me, they are like a branch that is thrown away and then dies. People pick up dead branches and throw them into the fire and burn them. If if you remain in me and follow my teachings, you can ask anything you want, and it will be given to you. You should produce much fruit and show that you are my followers, which brings glory to my Father. I loved you as the Father loved me. Now remain in my love. I have obeyed my Father's commands, and I remain in his love. In the same way, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. I have told you these things so you can have the same joy that I have, and so that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. This is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. The greatest love a person can show is to die for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends, because I have made known to you everything I heard from my Father. You did not choose me, I chose you. And I gave you this work, to go and produce fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you anything you ask for in my name. This is my command. Love each other.
0: This is great stuff. There are seven IM statements. I have experts on the IM statements in here. Let's let's talk about, look, I have a great mnemonic device for how to think about this. This is real, this is good. Um, think of it spatially. Uh, okay, loaf of bread. <laughs>
1: Did you teach? You didn't bring this up. To five steps. I did not know about this until now. One, this was my two, network. three,
0: four, five.
1: <laughs> this Is was hidden from me. <laughs> six.
0: Right. No, okay. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I am the bread of life. Yes. I am the light life of the world. Seven. I am the door or gate. I am the vine. I am the shepherd, the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Seven mm-hmm. I am statements. Good morning. Good morning. Very powerful. Where Jesus is trying to explain a physical, look, he spends a lot of time trying to explain things both figuratively. <clears throat> so that humans are very creative and they understand scenarios so that we can understand. And he tries to explain things very concretely because we're all very concrete learners. He's trying to explain who he is, right? Now, if he were to just say it, you know, you're like, why don't you just tell us who you are? Well, the problem is when he when he tells you, you don't get it, right? We don't get it.
2: Very small picture
0: that. Yeah. Because every way that we could describe it, and look, it took seven I Am statements just to describe Jesus. Every every way you describe something is, is not adequate. And people can take it different ways. So he tries to explain them in ways that the most people will understand. <clears throat> I am the bread of life. Bread makes you live. You have to eat... It sustains you. He could you. say I
1: sustain you, but when he says bread, everyone there ate bread every single day to stay alive.
0: What do you mean so, sustain like, me? That doesn't mean anything. But bread, I understand bread. Yeah. I have to eat or I'm gonna die. I am the light of the world, light, knowledge, and to a Greek this would mean everything. I understand now. I can see. It's all made apparent, etc. etc. etcetera. Today he's talking about that he is the vine. He is the true vine. And my father is the gardener, and we talked about this last week. All oh, the sciencey stuff of plant science, right? If uh, if you have a vine, or you know some kind of living tree, right? Um, uh, you know this is this is not uh, you know poison ivy. <laughs> this is, you know you have a vine, you have branches, and, and each one of these branches produces fruit. You hope that it produces fruit. Now now producing fruit is the evidence that the vine is happy. And it's growing and thriving. And and a lot of people come to me and say, Brian, how can I make my plants grow faster? I'm like, give it what it needs. Give it light. Give it water. Give it good soil. Give it tender love and care. Oh, but isn't there like a chemical I could give it? Or isn't there a hormone? Well, yes, there are certain things that you can give to plants to cause certain physiological changes. And guess what? Usually that kills it (laughs) because you're making it do something it doesn't want to do. Give it everything it needs, the bread, and it will and it will produce fruit, right? Now, what happens when you cut? Now, how many of us have ever pruned a tree or a shrub before? Okay? What happens when you prune that branch? What happens to the branch? dies. It doesn't live? That's weird. Well, it depends if you're pruning it back or
3: you're pruning ah. it off. Okay. Well, I mean, what happens for anything of, you
0: prune, a pru- two to prune, kinds of pruning.
3: Yeah. either yeah. you're cutting it off. Yeah. For the good I see of the whole, the I see of the whole plant, or you're pruning it back for the good of that branch.
0: Very so, good. Know. So there's two there's two ways to look at it. Mm-hmm. For the thing that got pruned, <laughs> you know, the, the piece that gets pruned, it dies. That's it. It's gone, right? The thing that's left, to your point, Steve, is that the point is that you've tried to make this healthier. Now we've the analogy here is fruit trees, right? Um, we had some some guests from California last week. And, and they live in the agricultural Central Valley of California, and they know very well that you don't just plant a, a grove of fruit trees or nut trees or, or olive trees, and you just expect them to grow without any kind of care. You have to prune them. Why? Because in nature, a natural fruit-producing tree will try its hardest to produce as many fruit as it possibly can every two to three years because that's its reproductive mechanism. The point of fruit production for a plant is to reproduce, not to feed humans. (laughs) I know this surprises you. And often, what will happen is, when it puts all of its energy into fruit production, what does that do for plant defenses, and for growth, and for health? It can weaken it severely. This is why most fruit trees only live for 10, 20, 30 years because it's putting all of its energy into reproduction. Now, in nature, it works because then, animals come along, birds come along, they eat the fruit, they spread the seeds, and the plant reproduces, and now there's all these offspring. We don't want that. We don't want that in fruit production because what happens is it makes a million tiny gross little fruits (laughs) that usually ends up weakening the, the tree significantly, so the fruit that it produces is not very good, and the tree dies because it tries too hard or it becomes very susceptible to pests and infections. So in agriculture, we have learned, you prune it. You, you take this tree that looks terribly awful, like you know all these branches and they're producing all these tiny little crappy fruit and you prune a whole bunch of it away and then you make this beautiful thing and it's got much fewer branches but the fruit it does produce is wonderful. The fruit is much larger, right? Limited amount of resources goes into fewer fruit, they're much larger, they're much more delicious, and the, and the plant is not putting all of its energy into it, so it's much healthier. It produces its crop, it's done, and then it's healthy, and it can fight pests, and it can fight infection, and it can grow. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father's a gardener. Look, ev- 99% of everyone in the first century Was, was related to agriculture in some way we, Folks, we are so different Than all of human history has been For the past, I don't know you know, Count 10,000 years, 6,000 years Whatever you want to say <clears throat> Most of us today have no connection to agriculture whatsoever His audience would have understood this perfectly What he was trying to say To our point about you know, trying to explain things If Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, now what does that mean? That means that you can only produce fruit if what? You're connected to the vine. You're not connected to the vine. I'm sorry. You're going to die. You're going to die. The vine and its root system is the life, it is the living part of the plant. You know, um, you cut off a branch, you cut off some tissue, and it's dead, it's disconnected from the whole. It dies. It doesn't produce any fruit. Now, (laughs) we can choose to prune ourselves off by rejecting God and his word. We are very good at (laughs) self-pruning. God can also do it. He said here, who's the gardener? (laughs) My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Look, I've said this before. It's tough love. People don't like to hear the, the phrase tough love. Because it's tough right why are you so deliberate about disciplining your children correcting them when they're wrong rewarding them when they're good it's a lot of work holy crap being a gardener is a lot of work being a father is a lot of work being a manager is a lot of work being a leader is a lot of work but you have to deliberately do it and it sucks but it's for the good it will save it'll save the living life form if you do it and make it better pruning sucks but it's necessary but the good part about it is if you are connected and you are trying to produce fruit, wonderful things will happen. Wonderful things will happen. How do I know if I'm producing fruit? And what does that mean? What does it mean to produce fruit?
1: Fruit of the spirit. Okay, what is that?
0: What is fruit of the spirit?
1: Love,
0: joy, peace. I love it. Patience, okay and that's of the spirit and all the things that you just mentioned are what? Uh, What would you characterize? Outward
1: signs of uh, actions that show God working through you.
0: I make a big case about this. Salvation leads to works. I know that's hard to to say and it's hard to, to accept your heart, which has gotten you right with God, to say I choose Jesus as my as my personal Lord and Savior, should then result in works. I don't know Steve I don't know Steve Cruz's heart. I mean I think I do, but the, but I don't. It's a black box. Everyone is a black box. The only way I know Steve Cruz's heart is through his outward actions. Faith without works is dead. Why? Because if you don't have works, that means your heart was never right to begin with. It didn't mean your works saved you. Your works will never save you. I'm sorry. Billy Graham and his evangelism did not save him. And if Billy Graham's work didn't save him, what what hope is there for Brian Freeman? (laughs) What saved Billy Graham? I assume he is saved, and he's in heaven now with our our creator. I, I truly believe his heart was right with God.
2: Made right by God.
0: Yeah. Imputed righteousness. It meant that he wasn't righteous. How did he get righteous? Trusted that he would be. And then his father made him. You, none of us are ever going to make ourselves righteous. This is the parable of the wedding feast where people would show up. You remember, um, Jesus tells this parable a man, a rich man had a great wedding feast and he invited all of, you know, he invited the wedding guests and none of them wanted to come. In fact, they beat and killed the servants that invited him. <laughs> Which is an analogy to what we're talking about here. So then he goes out into the streets and says, okay, then go out in the streets and invite everyone. Invite everyone on the street to come. There's free food. All you have to do is accept it. And some of them did. Some of the strangers on the street came and they showed up. Now, when... They showed up, there was a great feast and a great banquet, but some of them were trying to wear their own clothes. And this is, this is where a lot of people mistake what's going on here. They tried to show up wearing their own clothes. They weren't clothed in the righteousness of the, of the host. And God, this is a very important analogy here. He goes out, he invites. The Jews rejected his son. So he invited the Gentiles to participate in this glorious covenant. Many of the Gentiles us included, accepted that. But some of us show up trying to be good on their own and wear their own beautiful clothes. And guess what? Their clothes suck. (laughs) Their clothes are filthy. Filthy rags is what the Greek New Testament says. You have to accept God's righteousness, and that will make you righteous. None of you can bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm sorry, but true fruit won't be produced unless you're connected to the vine and there's only one true vine one true vine is there many paths to salvation? if I believe in Buddha and I think I'm a good person I believe in you know Muhammad or the Bhagavad Gita or Joseph Smith or something like that. that that won't make me right that's not the true vine there is one true vine that's a hard pill to swallow for many people what do you guys think?
3: But some of their works, if you're just judging by works, some of their works are clearly good. Yeah. Expand it, on that. Well, you know, it gets back to you don't know what someone's heart is. Yeah. And you have to be careful how you judge someone. Yes. Um, you yes. might judge Miss Hare Krishna mm-hmm. because she's handing out food at mm-hmm. the pantry and yep. doing good works yep. and you might judge steve the christian who's mm-hmm. over here arguing and fighting with somebody on facebook or right. whatever um, and if you look just at the works well, mm-hmm. the works in that case look pretty good for the Hari krishna but you know you didn't go yep. deep enough and you really have no way of doing that so mm-hmm. It kind of circles around to be mm-hmm. careful how you're how you're judging
0: people. I'm sorry, but Mormons put Protestant Christians to shame. They do. They work, they work very hard to spread their their version of the gospel. They passionately commit themselves to two years of missionary work as young people. Willingly. They are willing to do it. They are passionate about it. Look, I'm sorry, if you've ever talked to a Mormon, they're passionate about it. And, and yes, to some degree, it's shame. And there is this whole thing about their community expects it. And if they don't, they're cut off from, and ostracized from the community. I get that. But I've also seen, their. I can tell that some of them are very passionate about this. Um, you can't, I think I agree with you, Steve. You can't just use certain things like that. What about this? If you remain in me. And my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Okay, this is a good one. This goes down a path, right?
3: I prayed for a mini bike so often when I was a kid. I yes. Never got it.
0: Yes. This is it. I'm so. That's a great example. Now you have a Harley and it, and it sits with dust in the garage. So, I don't have it anymore. Oh, you, okay. okay yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah, that was a bad. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, what do you. What, okay,
0: let's tell the whole story. Sorry. So
1: he was pruned.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's good. That's good. She's got her shears. Um, Again, using others. Yeah? No matter what. I want to use this example. This is a great example. How many Christians, or even non-Christians, have said, Look, I've heard. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. And you interpret that on its own, by itself, with no other reference as, Well, God will give it to me if I ask him. Dear God, if you love me, you'll come down, and you'll appear as an angel in front of me and tell me that you're real. Dear God, I want a bike, right? Right? Dear God, I want to raise. Dear God, I want to have children. Dear God, I want to have a, I want to have a promotion. Dear God, I really wish my neighbor would leave. <laughs> what is th- Now, I'm going to tell you, this is the danger of taking a single phrase in the Bible out of context. And you know what? God is pretty smart. He knows how we, how we think. So he literally gave us, in the very next sentence, a qualifier for how we know what to ask for. He didn't even make it hard. He's like, if you just keep reading, Brian, you'll read. This is what? This is verse 8. This is what?
2: The Father has to be glorified.
0: Folks, the only reason God answers prayer, it's not the only reason, it's the number one reason, but it's a big one, is that he will respond to glorify himself. That the actions that he gives are meant to glorify God. That's it. And, and literally, it really is kind of it. Because, <clears throat> first of all, according to the New Testament, it seems as though God never answered miracles in private. That at least the miracles of Jesus were always public. And of course, they're public because we know about it 2,000 years later. But you could argue that it seems as though the pattern is... Every time Jesus did some miracle, either he healed the blind or he or he he healed the crippled, or the deaf could hear, or the mute could talk, or the dead were raised, it was a huge public event. At least more than one person knew about it. <clears throat> now, I think that's not an accident. I think that's not an accident. I think the sole reason why And look, God loves you. Obviously, he loves you because he sent his only son to die for you. I mean, that's, you know, how many people have done that for you in in the real world? Um, Obviously, God is compassionate. In the New Testament, says Jesus had compassion or pity on people and took took pity on them. He loved them. But the reason that he... Why doesn't he just snap his fingers and everyone on earth is healed? Why doesn't he just... Say there's no more suffering in the world. Why? Because he makes a very specific point to say the reason I'm doing this is to to make and glorify my Father. Asking whatever you want. You are free to ask whatever you want. But I have come to learn, and I am not perfect by any means, but I have come to learn over the years that if I'm going to ask for something, I have to ask myself, well, how will God be glorified if I get this? (laughs) Let's say he does answer my prayer how does that glorify God? And if I can't find a good way that's not made up, if I win the lottery, God... Don't ask. Don't ask. No point. And then you have to ask yourself, Ken, why am I asking for it? Is it for me or is it for him? Is it me or for him? What do you guys think about that? Is that is, I mean, I could be wrong. You tell me. That's my opinion.
2: <clears throat> Maybe we need to learn to glorify God with what we have. Ah.
0: Okay. Yes,
2: gifts we have, the Very good. resources we mm-hmm. have. Yeah,
1: we pray for a million dollars. Look at all the great work that I could do for the Lord if I had a million dollars. He says, well, hey, you might get that someday. It what sounds like a now parable, now, okay? Tim.
3: Pardon? Yeah, this is good. kind of sounds like a
1: parable, Tim. Does it sound like a parable?
3: <laughs> <laughs> there's something, there's something, <laughs> That's good. I like
0: that.
1: Like, like the beginning of the verse seven, he's like, If you remain in me and follow my teachings, ah. you can ask for anything you want, and we give it will be given to you. Here we go. I feel like if we're remaining with the vine, <clears throat> Jesus, you know, and we're following his teachings, then the heart for what we want is different. You know, we're not asking for like material things necessarily or
2: but don't we stop our feet and go i am remaining in you <laughs> look Maybe. at me i'm yeah. and we start to list the ways right Yeah.
1: i mean my dad had this like a truly evil boss
2: for years yep. and years and we prayed and created and prayed
1: fervently <clears throat> for something to, to intervene and eventually like hmm? it took like 10 15 years, maybe 28 years even. I mean, it was a long, long time, but <clears throat> then God worked it out in a way that none of us had ever thought. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, he, God gives you more than you ask or magic. <laughs> like, it's truly true. And
3: God can see the it. direction that things are growing. That's where we lack his vision. Yes. So we're praying for growth. Pray for growth. Pray for growth. Pray for growth. Lord, why aren't you giving us growth? Yeah. <clears throat> well, because if you grew, you'd whack into this and it would... Chop off the whole vine. Yes. So I'm not going to let you grow. I'm going to prune you, and keep pruning you, and you're going to spread out. And the growth that happens, you know, to your side is going to go up and be a blessing.
0: This is an excellent analogy. I'm going to I'm going to draw upon again my my scientific background here. I'm going to make a, a very good case here. So, <clears throat> the digital revolution has has completely changed agriculture. In the past. To your, your point about our myopic view of the world, no human can see all. We don't know all, we don't see all, we're not, we're not God. <clears throat> because of that, and we're so limited, and what we can see and do and, and understand, it, it changes how we interpret and make decisions on earth. So if you're a gardener, and you're walking through your, your fruit grove, and you notice as you walk around the, the, the grove, some plants seem to be doing worse than others. Now you'll come up to a plant and you'll see, and this, this peach tree seems sick and weak and it's not putting on a lot of leaves and it's not putting on very many fruit and it seems to have a lot of rot and disease. And then you'll just kind of walk over here and, and kind of very slowly realize that the, the trees over here are much healthier, they're happier. You don't know what's going on. It's hard to see why. And so you might try a whole bunch of different things to try and fix it. The advent of satellite technology is now revolutionizing the way that we understand how agriculture works. Now, at our company, this is probably not a secret, we are starting to provide uh, digital tools for, you know, right? This is not not a public disclosure, so don't worry. That We we are providing services, digital services to farmers. This is a whole new thing. We used to in the past only provide the stuff that a farmer would use like seeds or, or chemicals, but now we're trying to provide digital tools, which is knowledge. We can provide satellite images of a farmer's field and we do a whole bunch of analytics on that to understand yield from space. And just through the optics that these satellites, are, sometimes we can fly drones over your, your property and, and get that too, we can take pictures, and in different wavelengths of light, we can see what's going on in the, in, in the field. We can understand plant health. And, and you, and it's amazing, actually, what you can see just in invisible and, and near-infrared light, all the things you can know about a plant. You can see how fast it's growing. You can see how green it is. You can see how photosynthetically active it is. You can also measure other things, like moisture. <clears throat> you can measure things like disease and death based on color. Long story short is now, we have the ability, you have this whole orchard and everything seems to be growing fine, but, but in here, it seems like there's areas where it's not green. It, it seems like it's, it's, you know, based on our analysis, we come to the conclusion that th- the plants growing in this area are sicker, they're weaker, they're smaller, but we can take other pictures and say, well, this because this is an area in which in the spring our satellites measured a lot of water. So it turns out we can now see the patterns from space that say, the reason your, your trees suck here is because they get waterlogged in the spring. And that caused all sorts of problems. It, it hurt the roots. It made the plant sick. It couldn't grow. And then disease came in and killed everything. Well, our myopic view on the ground, we can't see that, right? We don't know. You have to see God has the satellite view here of our whole life. And he can see in every wavelength of light that we can't. He sees the patterns. I make the, the comment about the tapestry. We see the, the tapestry from the back and all of the threads that go every which way. And there's, no, there's chaos. It doesn't seem to make any sense, but he can see the reverse. He sees the pattern. He sees the picture that we can't. He is the gardener. He is the master gardener, and he can see it all. Let's circle back to, why isn't God answering my prayer? You have to ask yourself, I think, and this is an exercise I would ask you to do. The next time you're, you're going to ask, take a petition before God and ask him for something, I want you to do this. I want you to ask, if God gives this to me, how is God glorified? And I can be a part of that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I could certainly tell the world, well, God answered my prayer. But sometimes that's not all of the answer. Sometimes by the thing that he does for you is part of the answer, too, about how he's glorified. Ask yourself this. If God doesn't answer my prayer, how is he being glorified? And I'll use the example of, of that Laura did of her father and, and kind of the work situation he was in. <clears throat> I think sometimes God doesn't... <laughs> make our neighbor move, <laughs> or make us win the lottery so we leave our job, or give us certain things because he is already being glorified through what we are already growing, going through, or he will be glorified. Maybe your, your boss, who is a complete a-hole to you, <laughs> needs to know Jesus, and if he leaves, He's not going to hear it, because guess what, folks? A lot of people don't tell people about Jesus, even when they're Christians. They keep it to themselves, or they don't act like they're Christians. Maybe it sucks for you for a while. Maybe your boss is a jerk. Well, you still have if you have a boss, that means what? You have a job. I'm sorry. You are being blessed by having a job. You, you know? Maybe God wants you to be an example to that person so that they come to know Jesus. And you know what, folks? I know it's tough to hear this it might take 20 years. It might take 30 years. How many of you have known a friend or a loved one who has taken decades of prayer only to see the change later in life? And God bless you if you did see it, and I know examples from our own church where that has happened, literally on the deathbed. You will see a revelation that they know they finally figured out who Jesus is. I'm sorry, but you know, this whole argument that that atheists use, and it's an excuse. Well, I thought God was a vending machine, and if I can't just push this button every time and get a result, then God doesn't exist. No, that's not how it works. God is not a vending machine.
1: But it, he is. It is true when he says, "Seek and you will find it." Yeah. If you truly want to know who God is, He will reveal Himself yes. to you in a very real way, and it might not be how you think or are asking for.
0: So maybe it isn't just about the thing you're asking for. <clears throat> it's to us understand God's purpose. If if this is all about glorifying God and his purpose, then ask him, what is your purpose? I do believe, and maybe naively so, he will answer you. You may not like the answer. It may pretty not be what you want. Pretty good chance you will, though. Why do you say that? Because he knows what's in my heart. Oh, yeah. He doesn't, he's not trying to
2: put something on. He's not going to ask me to go to China.
0: <laughs> he's not. Careful what you say. This is yeah. on the record I know now. Oh,
1: he asked Moses to go back. And <laughs>
0: but now it's your heart, right?
2: I mean, Zimbabwe is in your heart now. If it wasn't. Yeah. At some point. It seemed very foreign I use it. that as an yeah. example. Yeah. <laughs> <old. But that's, laughs> well, I said it earlier. He doesn't. God's not. Okay, I've just been holding my tongue here. But there's too much. There's too much to talk about. When I read, and my father is the vine dresser, that takes all responsibility off of me.
0: Ah.
2: I don't have to change with what I can produce, he's doing it. And so, with a mindset of, what does God want for me instead of what does he want from me I get to trust him I get to feel his love for me because he's taken those bad parts away from me because he will he wants me to develop all the better parts mm-hmm. and you know I think about uh, you know if I pray and ask God for courage <clears throat> and then I have an opportunity to be courageous. And then I go, no, 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 no. Take that away. take God, you know, handle this situation. So I don't have to be courageous because that's hard work. Mm-hmm. But, I, but what I asked for was courage. And so he gives me this crappy situation that now I get a chance to learn to be courageous in. I should probably think about accepting that crappy situation in my life. And recognize that man he's just just given me more and given me more and given me more for uh, all the fruits of the spirit the peace you know I mean I grew up hearing that God was a God of discipline and God Mm -hmm. was a God of order Mm -hmm. and those two things were scary because I was Mm -hmm. not a disciplined person and I was not an ordered person but nobody ever told me why he is those things I think about Fiscal responsibility. If I, he wants me to be fiscally responsible. Why? Because he's just up there saying, come on, Kim, I gave you all this money and you need to take care of it. Or is he saying, once you are, the peace that comes with that, the ability. I mean, you guys showed up at the thing across the street a couple weeks ago with a bag of Super Bowls. And that was the biggest. That was the mm-hmm. biggest part of my day. I'm Like here, the most simple little thing, but it blessed all those kids mm-hmm. over and over and over and over. I didn't, I didn't think of a bag of super balls for these kids. I was like, eh, we got to get ice and we got to get a cooler. We got, you know. But because of all that order and all that. Mm-hmm. Everybody was handling what we needed to handle. Every kid got a little ball, and they're chasing around. Running into traffic.
0: <laughs> Idea, but, <laughs> that's <right. laughs> that's right. but that's what's great is that yep.
1: we're all different branches right and we all that's, have different that's it. Um, talents and God uses us all to make a beautiful tree right but you yeah. can't make a beautiful tree with just one or two branches they have to all
0: you just said you couldn't go to China brother I, c- I can't do old folks homes now don't get me wrong I love old people that's why I can't do it it makes me cry I am a man And when I go into... I'm going to get teary now just thinking about it. Because I have had loved ones who have been in nursing homes and it makes me cry. It's very sad to me. Now I realize that there's a lot of good that can happen there. My point is, I'm not that person. I am so blessed that there are people that will do nursing home ministries. I am very glad there are people who do China ministries, right? Um, You are absolutely right. God knows. We're the body of Christ. What is the body? It's not made of one tissue and one cell type, right? He makes this analogy a lot. Some people are the arms. Some are the legs. Some teach. Some preach.
1: I liked what Ken was saying about we're the, like, we're a branch. Yeah. Like, we think of ourselves as the gardener, I
0: think. Yes.
1: yes. But God's the gardener. Like, I think Jesus, in all of his I Am statements he keeps trying to, like, remind us, like, he's the shepherd. Mm -hmm. We're not the shepherd. We're just the sheep. We are the dumb animals that go around. You know what I mean? Like, we are not we like to elevate ourselves to mm-hmm. levels that we
0: are not. I think it gets back to what to Ken said in the very beginning. We tend to in our hubris put too much on ourselves. I'm responsible for my salvation. I can screw everything up. If I do something wrong, I'm wrecking the kingdom. And but I can also I also want to glorify myself. No, no, no. None of that is true. Everything that I just said is wrong. Right? You are the conduit. You are the conduit. There's
2: a <clears throat> a man. Walking through a like a bazaar over in India, and he saw a guy that had a big chunk of marble or something, and he was chipping away at it. And he stood there and watched him, and he started to recognize that he was carving an elephant mm. out of this big chunk of marble. And he went up to the guy and he said, uh, "He was, how do you
0: make an elephant out of this big
2: chunk of marble?" And he said, "I simply just take away the parts that aren't elephant." <laughs> I love that that's what god's doing that. to us to reveal our original glory mm-hmm. the intention in the garden was to walk with god sin free mm-hmm. and that's what he's doing to us not of this not lopping off these parts that we mm-hmm. really want mm-hmm. he's taking away everything that's not glory mm-hmm. righteousness mm-hmm. and what is
0: what does jesus say in verse 11 that my joy may be in you. You want joy in us. That will yes. make us full. I love that, Tim, because what does that say? It means, again, God is not here as some dictator punishing the human race that he regrets making and he just wants us to suffer. Mm-hmm. The whole point is to help us to have joy. Joy is a very nice thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> joy is not, you know... Um, Gosh, I'm glad I got you know two scoops of ice cream last night. That's not joy. Joy is I have people who love me. That's joy. Joy is my God loves me, and I'm going to be okay. That's joy. I heard the definition of joy is Jesus, others,
2: yourself. Nice.
0: I love that. I'm going to write that down. Jesus, others, yourself. When you pass on from this world, thank you for sharing that. When you pass on from this world, your, your gravestone, if you have a gravestone, and I know it's morbid to think of it at this point, your gravestone is not going to say, boy, he was a real a-hole in that meeting on March 12th. <laughs> he screwed up. He screwed that thing up, right? He screwed up that, uh, that job he was supposed to do at work really bad. No. What do tombstones have on them? What, is, what do tombstones and gravestones have on them if they say anything other than your name? They often say what?
1: Your family, your children. Your
0: Beloved Father. Son. What gives us great joy in life knowing that we are part of the family of Christ? Look around here, folks. Look, I'm serious. This is, look at each other. You are looking at your brothers and sisters in Christ right now. They yeah. love you. <laughs> they love you. I love you. Why? Because God wants us to show the same love. That's his commandment. This is my command, love each other, just as I have loved you. I love you, Angela Cruz. I love you, Ken Hockmuth. Why? Because I do. And also because this demonstrates Christ's love for us. That's awesome. That's awesome.
3: Then he says how he loved us. He laid down his life. No greater love is that thing. Lay down your life for your friends, so not only love each other, but love you, love each other so much that you've laid down your life for each other. There's twelve.
0: I no longer call you servants. Doulos, douloi, is the Greek, the the, the um, plural. <clears throat> I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. How much, how much skin in the game does a does a slave have in his master's business? Well, just enough to keep him from being killed. <laughs> Instead, I have called you friends. Philos, right? A couple chapters ago, he just
2: called us children.
0: And children. Your children, your friends. Folks, this is completely different than any other religious structure in the first century. God's created either accidentally or on purpose man to serve them, and we bug the hell out of them. (laughs) And they have never done anything close to sacrificing themselves to help us. They don't care about us. Jesus is making the point. You're right. They don't. I do. I am real. My Father is real. For everything I have learned from my Father have made known to you. How many people in the Bible does God call his friends? In the Old Testament, how many people did God call a friend of God or referred to as the friend of God? There's only two I could find. Just take a guess, because you're probably right. Who do you think they are? David. That's funny you should say that, because that's not a friend of God. Moses Abraham. and Abraham. Moses and Abraham. Those are some pretty good guys. Lofty. lofty guys. Those are the only two in the Old Testament that God says, you are my friend. Now Jesus is saying what? We all can be that. You just looked around at each other. You just looked around at the friends of, of Jesus. Guess what? That's a pretty lofty place to be. <clears throat> you have now entered the company of Moses and Abraham. How does that make you feel? Scared? <laughs> Wonderful. I
2: believe Jesus came in part to relieve God of a bad reputation.
0: That, my friend, is an excellent. We should do that. This is a whole hour. We should talk about that. Is there still a bad reputation 2,000 years later?
1: People still think. Like there was some Christian Singer who just came out saying that he rejects God. You know, he doesn't believe in God. um, He was like. One of his things he said was that the Old Testament God is so different than the New Testament God. And, and I think when you actually read the Old Testament, you see that, I mean, God has so many different parts of him. Just like humans are very complex, too. We're not just like, we are not completely evil or completely good or completely funny or, you know, like there's just all these different things about you. and like God in the Old Testament, he is so patient. He shows his love through not... Destroy them and then totally, like, you know, reject him over, over and over again. I mean, there are so many things that if you just actually read the Old Testament, you can see that God is the same in the new and the old, if you ask me. I'm just thinking how that many of a us?
0: view. How many of us, if you were to take a slice of your past when you were a teenager, the way your parents treated you were a teenager, and you compare it with now, how many of you would say you have a different relationship? I know I, I do. <laughs> how many of you when you were five can say the relationship, if you were just to take a day in the life of your five-year-old self, if you can remember that, it's been a while for me, you can say, well, how did my parents treat me then? And if you're still blessed to have parents alive today or they were alive you know, as you became an adult, you can say they were different. Look, I'm, I'm telling you, I treat Lily far different now than I'm going to treat her when she's 20 or when she's 30. Right Right now I'm all about rebuking and correcting and loving and helping and putting a lot in and she might look at me some days and go, you hate me, right, and you're so mean to me, right? I won't even show her face. Shame. (laughs) Shame. But what happens when she's 30 and she has her own family? I'm not going to act the same. That's not what you do. The Old Testament God acted the way he did for a very good reason, right? He was trying to get the human race off the ground. Refused to leave us with our sin. He's like, "I'm going to fix this boat, whether you like it or not." Tough love. Today's lesson is tough love. How does he treat us today? He called you what? A friend. I'm, I'm not my kid's friends right now. I hope someday I am. Today he's your friend. You've grown up. The human race is growing up and he's ready to treat us very differently. Saying, I've given you all of the words. I've sent you off into the world. I'm going on my cruise ship. Have a nice life, right? (laughs) Please please come home for Christmas. It's not really like that. (laughs) I'm going to
2: literally give my daughter away today
0: at about 5.07. And your relationship will be similar and different. After today, this is the last day of her being your baby. I'm done. Yeah. That's awesome. Man. It's awesome. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> it's awesome. It's so good. I
0: love it. I love it, Ken. I'm scared to of it, but it's so
2: awesome.
0: Yeah. Let's let's wrap up here because um, while this takes a little bit of a different turn here from what we've been saying, it's important. Um, <clears throat> because now what? Now what? Verse 18. Let's go all the way to. Um, <clears throat> Let's go all the way to the end, which is 27. Who can read 18 to 27 for me? Sure. Thanks.
3: If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will will do this all to you because of me for they have rejected the one who sent me they would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them but now they have no excuse for their sin anyone who hates me also hates my father if I hadn't done such miracle miraculous signs among them that no one else could do they would not be guilty but as it is they have seen everything I did yet they still hate me and my father This fulfills what is written in the scriptures, they hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me and from the beginning of my ministry.
0: Folks, at the beginning I said, there, there are those of us myself included, who have been at a place in their life where they've said, God, if you'll just prove your God to me, I want a magic trick here. I want to see a magic trick. Guess what? Uh, that's not a new thing. Even the Jews of the first century were all doing that to Jesus. And guess what? Every time someone with a bad heart asked Jesus for a miracle, what would he do?
1: He would say no, and or he would say, I'll give you no sign except for the sign of Jonah.
0: He is not a magician, folks. He is not David Copperfield. He does not perform on cue. He is not a vending machine. Jesus was very blunt with people. If you come before him without faith, like Herod did, like many of the Jewish scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, well, do a miracle for us and prove that you're who you say you are. He's like, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it for you. Why? (laughs) It comes back to this. Because that doesn't glorify me. Because you're just asking out of spite and hate. And guess what? Even when he did perform miracles and they found out about it, like the raising of Lazarus, what did they do? Did they suddenly all say, you're the Messiah, we'll follow you now. What did they do?
1: We got to kill Lazarus.
0: (laughs) We got to kill him again. (laughs) What? And we look at that and go, you are so dumb. And we're like, we're exactly the same we are exactly the same because the more God proves who he is to some of us, the more we hate him. He's like, I have proven it to you, and guess what? Some of you will see that I love you. I am, like, like Steve said, greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus will prove to you he is who he says he is if you let him. But if you continue to come with spite, guess what? Plenty of people are going to hate him. I told you this bell curve doesn't matter what, what God does for us. Miracles happen today, folks, by the way. I want, I want that to be very clear. This is not a first century thing. Miracles did not end with the apostles. <clears throat> they happen today. And, and you can call a miracle whatever you want. And I tend to, from a scientific point of view, say it is science un, undefined. <clears throat> I do believe God works within a certain set of rules and laws but he is established through the creation of his universe, and there's plenty we don't understand, folks. And just because I can't understand how black holes work or what's in the center of the earth doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I truly believe both of those things exist. I just can't explain it. I can't explain quantum physics. That doesn't mean it's not real. I believe miracles happen today in which God intervenes in the natural universe and affects change. It affects people and it affects things. <clears throat> plenty of miracles happen today. But people, there are people that will reject that. And, and, you know, this whole thing about right at the beginning, if the world hates you, keep in mind they hated me first. You're off the hook, Ken. You're off the hook. It's not Ken Hockmouth that's causing a lot of strife in people and causing people to hate. Not, oh, well, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Good
2: thing I can't go back.
0: That's good. It's not good. So, okay, any final thoughts before we wrap up today? This was a great one. Was it, was it as good as you thought it would be? Yeah.
2: It's a lot. I mean, it's... It's a lot. Don't, don't lay this chapter down this week.
0: It's like, is this like it always is? Don't, just, 10s, move on, man, I don't, know. don't just move on
2: to 16 quite yet. Cause, man.
0: Isn't this a great point about... Read the Bible in a year. Yes, that's awesome. Read the Bible in a year. That's the 30,000... That's a satellite view you got to get down into the orchard once in a while and look at things. Um, you know,
3: Christ wraps this thing up yeah. well, in this book, in this chapter, yeah. talking about two different aspects of the Holy Spirit. Ah, yes. You know, the advocate. Yep. So an advocate is something different than what he also calls the spirit of truth. So it's, it's really two different facets of what, what's coming your way.
0: Yep. That's awesome. We're going to talk more about this next week. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is he doing? And you've just, you've just answered that. So, uh, <clears throat> isn't that great? A spirit of truth, counselor, an intercessor. Remember, um, uh, last week we talked about that the Greek word here means an, an um, advocate, like in a court of law. He will go and plead your case for you to the judge, right? On your behalf, <clears throat> how great is that? And, and so that'll be a great segue for next week. Thank you.